Amen. End of sermon. Wasn't that great, huh? Um, I was so loving that video, and then I saw a pigeon. Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for straightening me up. If you're online, great to, to be with you. Uh, you know, this, this sermon series, it started out of me getting three phone calls from non-Christians telling me that it was the end of the world. Like, I mean, I, I usually get lots of phone calls from weird Christians telling me it's the end of the world, but non-Christians telling me it's the end of the world. And I went, flip, we're in trouble. <laughs> the non-Christians are telling me. And I started thinking about it and I realized, man, everything's at war. Republicans at war with Democrats, the trade wars against China, we're at war with COVID, social media is like a war zone, the ANC is in a civil war, like everywhere you look, there's a war, race wars, it's just war. And so I understand why they're sending me these messages. And uh, whilst I was getting those phone calls, um, my little boy, who's got an incredible imagination, <clears throat> was uh, getting nightmares. And, uh, and this kept happening, so Ames and I, we started praying, we, we sensed it was a demonic thing. So I call him into, before he goes to bed, because I'm tired of waking up at 2 a.m., so I, I call him into our bedroom before he goes to bed, and I said, my boy, do you know what's under dad's bed? He said, what, dad? So I said, and I grabbed it, I've got a hammer, I've got an axe, and, and I've, I've got um, a knob carry. I said, my boy, you know what these are for? These are in case someone gets past the angel, but in case some bad guy gets into our home, I'll throw the hammer at him, hit him with the axe and the knob carry. And I said, my boy, there is a baddie who's coming into your mind and he's a demon, but you have a weapon that's a lot more powerful than these things. You have, and and we've been listening to that song that we sang. So I'll just sing it. No, I'm joking. The the words go like this. There's a sling in my voice and a stone in my praise, pushing back when the darkest weapons form. So I I said these words to him. There's a power on my lips. Even death can't defy when the name of God is lifted high. I said to him, Jordan, we called you Jordan David Roger because there's a David inside of you that when you sing, you're called to be a worshiper. When you sing, there's a weapon. It's like a bazooka on this bed. If a baddie comes in spiritually, you can bazooka him to death. But George, if a baddie were to come into this house and I didn't pick up the bazooka and pull the trigger, nothing would happen. You have to start using that voice of yours to declare the power and goodness of God. Now friends, we are in a spiritual world. We're in a spiritual war that is so difficult to work our way through. It's so difficult to understand. And and here's the thing about Satan is that he would pull you deeper into a war in a way that you cannot win. And so God says, I have made you in the flesh, but you do not wage war according to the flesh. No, your weapons are not carnal. They're spiritual for tearing down strongholds and sophisticated reasoning, which would lead your life into death. And so what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to look at spiritual weapons to deal with spiritual attack that's happening in our lives. Because here's the big idea. You cannot deal with the chaos outside of you until you've dealt with the chaos inside of you. You have to 
declare war against the chaos inside of you and the truth is the muck and the, the ways in which Satan and the world kind of pull your head into all kinds of different things, it needs something that can cut right through it and give you clarity and clear eyes. And those are your spiritual weapons. So we're going to look at three weapons. They're not going to be what you're expecting. Well, the first weapon we're going to look at today is the power of agreement. I'm going to talk about that. And then next week we're going to talk about praise and Justy's going to preach and sing. So it's going to be a preachy sing. And then, uh, and then the week after that, we're going to look at the weapon of peace as we take on this series. But to get us into today, I asked a friend of mine to give his testimony of coming into agreement. So watch the screens, and Matt will share with you. So I came to know Jesus when I was 15 years old, and pretty much at that time, uh, my parents' business started to hit financial difficulty. And, you know, I think when you're younger, you don't really realize what your parents are going through, the, the decisions they're making, uh, the pressure that they're facing and what, and what they're dealing with. Um, but what we did notice, certainly amongst my siblings and my mom, is that my dad started to drink a lot more heavily through that time. Um, and then what ultimately happened is that the business went under. Um, and with the business going, my parents lost the house, the cars, and almost all of our worldly possessions. Uh, which was really the catalyst in our family's life and my dad's life of him starting a 10-year journey of becoming an alcoholic, uh, which was at its worst moments um, chaotic um, and, uh, and a very long process and, and difficulty that our family went through. Um, I think what happens um, when a family goes through such change, so going from being very comfortable to losing everything to being a unified, loving family environment to still having elements of that, but there being a lot more disruption and chaos, is that each person in the family is dealing with their own trauma. And, and what happens is that when you're dealing with that, you lose the ability to collectively align and agree that this is how we're going to deal with what, we, what we're in. Um, and you go a little bit into survival mode. You, know, you start living for the day, living for the week, getting through the month. Um, and I think that that's definitely what happened to us. And... And I think what you start to subconsciously do is believe that the situation you're in is your outcome. It's your final destination. And you start to not be able to see life beyond that. And you start to accept that, well, this is our life. It's going to be difficult and challenging. Um, and I think that that was definitely the, the case for us. Um, and I think it's probably, you know, for, for people listening at home as well, you know, it's, that was our story, but it's also people, you know, who may be in a difficult marriage and having conflict in your marriage or a challenging relationship with, with a family member. It might be finance related just because of COVID this year that you get so stuck in what you're in that your ability to think that life could be any different beyond it goes away and you're just in the survival and um, grinding part of life. And I think that that's what we got to. And while I think as a family, we responded to our situation in faith, our faith is very much about God, help me today. God, give me capacity for today. Give me strength for us just to manage this. And, and I personally, and I think also talking to other family members, feel as though um, our faith to believe that God could miraculously change our outcome um, had dissipated. And we were really just in this thing of, God, just help us. And as opposed to being able to go, he can really release his power and do something significant in my dad's life. Um, so what changed for us? I think one of the key moments for us, although this 10-year journey is not a single event and you have many of these landmarks in between, was um, an afternoon at Ross and Amy's house where 
they said to us as a family that, you know, let's draw a line in the sand here and let's believe that God can do a miracle in my dad's life. And so we agreed as a community of believers that God could do something miraculous. It was a big moment for us because someone pulled us out of survival mode and said, hey, God can do something. Um, and that was massive for us. And I think then being able to say to other communities that we were in uh, with uh, life groups and friends and family that, hey, we agree that God can do something amazing here. Um, and, and that was a, a really big moment that changed our thinking, but I think also changed our faith and started to muster up faith in us. Um, and then I think the other principle around agreements is, is agreeing with Scripture. You know, there were some really hopeless moments. Um, I remember when my dad went to rehab the first time, he came back and within days relapsed. You can't have a more hopeless moment than when that happens. Um, and, and Scripture says to us that in John 15 it says that God uh, didn't come to judge the world, but he came to set the world free. Um, and, and we have to believe that, that God could set my dad free. And it was agreeing with Scripture that he could do that. And holding on to these scriptures that say that where he was in, in, in the choices he'd made was not his final destination and agreeing with that scripture. And I think as a family, we were tired and, and weary and burdened. And Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And it was agreeing with scripture to be able to um, not just accept that what you're in is it, but to know that, um, that with agreeing with the community around you and agreeing with scripture, that the release of God's power um, can really be a real thing for you. Um, and so what was a decade-long journey, uh, which I'll try and wrap up very quickly, um, culminated uh, in uh, me being in my early 20s and waking up in the middle of the night one night, um, and I felt God say to me, not quite audibly, but it felt that clear, he said to me, you need to pay for your dad to go to rehab, and you need to release him out of your control and into my hands so that I have my way with him. Um, because I think the reality is, and the doctors have said to us post the fact that, um, you know, they don't understand how my dad is alive. They don't understand how the level of um, abuse that he just caused to his own body um, was actually sustained over that period of time. Um, and so it had to be a thing of handing, you know, him over to, to God. And so he went to rehab for six or seven weeks. Um, and I'm just so glad to be able to share with you that we experienced a miracle that in the agreement in the community of believers and the agreement with scripture and my dad coming to know Jesus, he was completely healed of his alcoholism and that it has been eight and a half years today that he um, hasn't touched a drop of alcohol. Uh, I think what's more amazing is that he is still a person who has anxiety and feels the pressures and stress of life, but the desire to turn to a substance to deal with it has been taken from him supernaturally. And that is the work of God. And if you ask my dad today, um, how have you been able to overcome this in your life? He will tell you, Jesus saved me and Jesus delivered me. Um, and so I just want to really encourage you today, whatever you are dealing with, um, that what you're in is not your end. It's not your outcome. I really encourage you to agree with the community around you that God is able to do more. I'd encourage you to get hold of the Bible and agree with the scripture that God says that he can bring freedom to you, that he can bring peace to you. Um, and that, I think, is really the... What this culminates in is that um, God brings peace and he brought a situation of chaos and disruption in my family life to a family now that is unified, unified around Jesus, a family of love and a family that is experiencing peace. When I can tell you that for a decade, um, that's not something that I thought was possible. So, um, yeah, just really want to encourage you today um, to align with God in agreement and with each other um, and that, yeah, his grace is there for you.
so good. I, I want to use today to build on that. He, he said he wants people to align with Scripture, come into agreement with Scripture, and come into agreement with one another. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to prove the power of agreement, and then I'm going to tell you how you do it. So if you've got your Bibles, Genesis 3 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? We don't know whether Satan came in a snake or as a snake or in the form of a snake. But what we do know is that he was the craftiest in the garden. Now that word crafty, it, it doesn't just mean crafty. It means subtle, sensible, prudent, and sneaky. So the most prudent, the wisest, smartest being in the garden waits for Eve to come along before he does the one thing that he does to all people at all times. The one strategy he's got is cause disagreement between them and God. His entire strategy for your marriage, for your business, for your family life, for your friendships, his entire strategy is this, divide and conquer. How do I get them into disagreement first with God and then with one another? If I can get them into disagreement, I can break them. Now, what's really interesting about this is that Satan doesn't attack Adam. I mean, Adam's been around, we don't know how long, but he had time to name every single animal and everything. So he's been around for a while, and Satan doesn't rock up on the scene until there are two different beings. I was thinking about this, and I want to submit to you, the reason I believe that Satan waits until Eve's on the scene is because at that moment, Satan knows, now I'm in trouble. When Adam was there, one, you know, all he could do is extend the garden a little bit. But when two are there, two different people, two hetero people, one, one who's got different skills and different personality and different strengths, and when two different people are together in agreement, then what can happen is multiplication. You see, Satan understands the concept that one of us can send a thousand to flight and two of us can set the legions fleeing. He understands that when there's agreement between different people with different desires and needs, there is an exponential power that gets released. And so he comes when they're two. Because you're looking at me like you don't believe me. <laughs> I'm going to keep adding scriptures. In Genesis 11 verse 6, there's this moment where mankind is building a monument to himself, but it's demonically inspired. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come, and they look at it, and it says, look, God said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing, nothing, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. You know what's fascinating about this? God looks, he goes, nothing will be impossible. Whatever they set their hearts and minds to do, they'll achieve. And so God, the most powerful being in the universe, doesn't squash them, doesn't resist them, doesn't terrify them. He confuses their language so they can't carry on because God understands the power of agreement. So he breaks it down. 
See, there is stuff that you can achieve through agreement that you can't achieve any other way. It's why Jesus says in Matthew 18, 19, again, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree that is of one mind in harmony about anything they ask for within the will of God, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, meeting together as my followers, I am there among them. Agreement has a supernatural power that will break boundaries and barriers in your life. It is important that you get this. Now, let's go back to the garden. Satan attacks, but he attacks Eve. Now, lots of people think that he attacks Eve because she's a woman. That's got nothing to do with what's happening. What Satan's attacking, he's attacking the person with second-hand revelation. Eve has heard this story from Adam. She heard it from a preacher. She didn't hear it from God. So Satan will always go to the person who has second-hand revelation, and he doesn't attack with brawn. You know, he's a snake. He could have bitten her, could have hissed her, he could have anaconded her. He, he could have like chased her all the way to the garden, I mean, into that tree and said, eat, otherwise I'm going to bite you. He doesn't do that. He attacks her with potentially the most powerful force in the universe. An idea. But the thing about an idea is an idea is just a good or a bad thought until there's agreement. The moment there's an agreement with an idea, it becomes a force. Going, sending a rocket to the moon, it was a good idea. It was a great thought. But when NASA came into agreement with that thought, it became a force. You think about anything that's been made, light bulbs, cars, whatever. They were just good ideas until an investor came into agreement, and then they came, became something incredible. They became a force. And here's what I know from physics, that force times mass equals momentum. So when you have an idea that people agree with, and then you have a mass of people, you get hashtag me too. Momentum. This happens for good stuff. This happens for Nazism. This happens for communism. This happens for revivals. This happens in all spectrums of life. Agreement creates force. Force gathers momentum when mass is added and it breaks in. And Satan knows that these two are in agreement, and there's a supernatural force that I need to break in with, and so he puts an idea into Eve's mind, and here's what the idea does. It creates doubt. The crux of the idea is this. You are not enough. Now, just don't put your hands up, but here's how you know that this sermon is for you. If there is an area of your life where you feel like you are not good enough, you are not enough. If you have an area, any area of your life where you're feeling that, here's what I want to tell you. You're in a spiritual war. Satan is having a field day. Because this is his idea. He, he puts that idea into your mind, and then what you do is you, you spin around trying to be good enough, and you live in pain and judgment. So he puts an idea in. And the idea that he puts in with Eve is an idea of doubt. Now, here's why it's important. James 1.6 says this. When you pray, 
ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man, or sorry, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you are not in agreement with God, it's not that God is punishing you, it's that God cannot partner with you. This is important. Because people who understand this, people who understand that without agreement, there can be no partnering. People who understand that, they will cut back their businesses until they find people just with agreement. They will stop dating that non-Christian until they find a person in agreement. They will stop their marriage and they will sit and talk and talk and talk until they come into agreement. Because they understand that agreement has the power to break barriers and disagreement has the power to utterly reduce things to chaos and nothing. This isn't a leadership principle. This is a Bible supernatural principle which we have to get into our hearts. The thing about agreement, though, is that it is difficult. Just ask a married person. She squeezes from the top, he squeezes from the bottom. He likes to go to bed at 9 p.m. so that he can wake up at 5 p.m., 5 a.m. She hasn't even started talking at 9 p.m. Like, we're just different. We're so, so different. And when you take two different people with different needs and different desires and you try to get them to agree, it's difficult. Which is why you have to put so much effort into it. See, agreement is a process. And the process is three parts. It's got revelation, it's got conversation, and it's got repentance. Where's my wife? I need my wife. Oh, I need, there we go. It would be awkward if I used another lady for this. <laughs> you look beautiful today. I'm just making sure I get some brownies in there. <laughs> the way I come into agreement with God is the way I come into agreement with my wife. Now, here's, here's how this works. We can... Look at our finances and go, we need to come out of debt. We come to agreement. Babe, we need to come out of debt. Yes, yes, we agree. Then what happens is that we go away and she prays and I cut the budget and we come back together and we have a bigger fight than we did that got us to this. Why? Because without understanding, it is impossible to get into a deeper level of agreement. If you want to get into agreement around coming out of debt, I need to see the world through her eyes. I can't look at coming out of debt without looking at the debt through her eyes. And I need to understand what drives her to spend. She needs to look at the world through my eyes and work out what causes me to spend. And here's what you'll find out. Men, generally, if your wife's spending... It's got a whole lot to do with some need you're not meeting. And so as you start to dive into what's causing the death thing inside of us, you find out it's got nothing to do with maths. It's got to do with emotion. But when I can see the world through her eyes, and when she can see the world through my eyes, what we begin to do is she goes, Flip, if I spend, it's going to cause so much stress and anxiety and loss that I'm not going to. That's called love. 
It comes as a result of understanding. And what, what happens before I'm about to cut something, I go, I'm going to get myself into trouble now, but I go, before I cut this, I can still afford to buy flowers and write a note. And that will take care of a need. And when you're starting to operate like that, you know what's beginning to happen? We're starting to work in agreement in a way that will take us out of debt. It has power. And the problem with most Christians is we try to do agreement like you do in the boardroom. It is stupid that we're in debt. Why would we get into debt? What is wrong with you that we're in debt? If we just do this, this, and this, we'll get out of debt. Anyone had that work? This is a real life situation. <laughs> no, 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 you're done. <laughs> I, no, but I've got a little bit more. Okay. Can I keep you there? Yeah, you can. But we're almost out. Uh, here's, this is how Satan works, though. Can, has anyone got glasses? I, I need to borrow some, any glasses. Are these your shades? Of course you give me shades. This is what Satan will do to you. And, and I want to say that there are some people who Satan's doing this to you right now. He will take... A magnifying glass. They almost are. <laughs> and he'll come to cause division and he'll put a spotlight on all the things that are wrong with your spouse. And he'll put a spotlight like that on all the things that are wrong with me. And what, what we begin to do is we notice because he puts the spotlight on and then we agree because Satan will say to this, how can she meet your needs with all of those problems? More appropriately, how can he meet your needs with all of those problems? And, and when we're looking at each other through the spotlight, agreeing with Satan, there is a force released. And what begins to happen is you start to become a tool of Satan. Here's why this is important. Sorry, but this is why I'm keeping you here. Here's why this is so important. Because there are people in this room. Your predominant experience of some work relationship or some friendship relationship or some marriage relationship is someone else looking with a spotlight at all your weaknesses. And it wears you down, and it breaks you down, and you wake up in the morning, and you just feel like, I'm trying so hard, but I just can't break through this. And this is what causes divorce. This is what causes businesses to break down. It's looking at one another with the negative lens. And here's what I want to say to you. When you get into that space of looking at another person and all you can see is their weaknesses, you are partnering with Satan and you need to repent. And if you are under that weight, Ames has seen me under that weight. Here's what you need. You need a person who will come with you and look at the word of God and declare it with you over your situation, a person who will come into agreement with you over the problem you're facing or the person you're facing. You don't run away. You don't end this relationship. You don't go 
away from that job. You get a person to come into agreement with you and you start declaring the truth of Scripture and it will literally break off you. You will find that boss walking and go, Flip, you did such a good job. But he hasn't complimented you for 10 years. What just happened? Agreement happened. There is a power that gets released when you come into agreement that will break anything. That's why I have such a good wife. Why don't you give her a hand? Now, agreement, it happens with God in the same way. What you do is you go, Lord, I've just been going through the cycle again and again. It's 10 years now, and I'm still single, and I'm still bankrupt, and I'm still in this situation. And you go, God, I need, I need help. And you get into conversation where you're trying to see the world through his eyes, And as you start to pray and you look at the scripture that says, that's not the reality. You go, but God, it feels like it's my reality. And what God will begin to say, and here's a prophetic word that I sense for everybody in our congregation today. The reason you kept going in that cycle had nothing to do with me. It had something to do with what you believed. And I want to change the cycle by changing you. See, Satan will just remind you, it's happened last year, it happened the year before, you think 2021 is going to be better, it's just going to be like 2017 and 18 and 19. He's going to keep saying that to you, and what you've got to do is you've got to go, no. My God sees it a different way, and then you've got to get into your closet, and you've got to go, Father, show me the different way. I was speaking to a friend yesterday gone in a singleness, loneliness, painful journey. And I just had such a strong sense for him today. I said to him, buddy, God has done such a big work in you today that all those relationships that mostly you messed up, that's not your future. You've changed. I want to say to people today who've got hopeless and desperate, your future is not your past It is whatever you agree with in Scripture. So you go spend some time with God and break that victim thinking off your heart. Break the power of people's words over you. Break your history away from you. And begin to walk in freedom. Now, church, if you understand this word, it causes repentance. A repentance from how you see people and what you've said to people and what you've done to people, because you could be the reason that they're living with a weight of them. And it causes freedom if you're living under that weight. What it leaves no room for is victims. You, you can't hear this word and blame someone else. This word has to create repentance. It brings you into new thinking. So here's what I'm going to do. Where's Rick? Come, buddy. Grab your guitar. Sing, sing a song. I want these two ladies. Estelle moves in spiritual warfare. Ange moves in prophecy. You two are going to pray over people, and I want you to stand. As he sings a song, we're just going to minister to you for the next little while.